those of you who have no time, you know, the sweet spot is probably, you know, you're like your first level is, is probably more than you can even imagine. Um, several hours, you know, an hour a week or two hours a week, it's way, way more than you're already doing. You might go, even that's impossible. Some people go, you know what, I've already got an hour blocked a day. Well, perhaps you could have three hours a day. Whoa, how would that be possible? I think, um, so what I like to say is not so much what's the actual number, um, but actually how can you start and how can you create something which is tiny and achievable and build from there? Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. As we look forward to 2023, I'm going to spend the next several episodes of the podcast discussing New Year's resolutions for people leaders. And I think it appropriate that the first of the New Year's resolutions I suggest is a renewed focus on strategy. To that end, I've invited Richard Medcalf back to the podcast. Richard's new book, Making Time for Strategy, How to Be Less Busy and More Successful, is slated for release in early 2023. Richard is an executive coach and leadership consultant to exceptional founders, CEOs, and their leadership teams. He is also host of his own podcast, The Impact Multiplier CEO. Welcome back to Good Morning HR, Richard. Hi, Mike. Hey, it's great to be here. I've enjoyed our previous conversation, so I'm looking forward to doing it again, doing another one, going deeper. It's going to be fun. Me too. So congratulations on the new book. Your like in crazy high demand as a coach to top level executives. And I know that takes a lot of time, a lot of prep work before every session and a lot of work after. Why did you decide to set aside the time to write this book? Yeah, it's a good question, right? It's always strategy and tactics. Tactically, the thing to do is to keep getting on the phone, talking with clients, right. uh, making the business move. What I found is that there was a topic that came up in every conversation, almost every new client. There was one topic that almost always came up. If you like, my mission is to help extraordinary leaders multiply their impact, uh, play at a new level, uh, reinvent themselves to elevate their focus. And the, almost the first thing we'd run into as soon as I had any of those conversations was, ah, oh, you know, Richard, yeah, but I need to get myself out of the operations. I'm stuck in the weeds. Uh, I'm too busy doing things that my team should be doing. Whatever it was, all of these things come, came out. Alternatively, you know what? I just need time to think. I don't even have time to think about what my next level could even be right now. I'm too busy running so hard. And so it was my desire to kind of actually consolidate some of the wisdom from those conversations because I realized that people tended to go about addressing that in the wrong way. And so as I coached them, I realized there's something to be said here. And I also wanted to really make accessible some of the work that I do, you know, at really high levels, costs a lot of money uh, for a broader audience, right? People who are perhaps on their way up or different parts of, uh, in their career. And they want to perhaps get the same benefit because no matter where we are, there's always an opportunity for us to level up by making time for strategy, by getting out of the weeds, getting out of the incrementalism 
that we tend to find ourselves on and actually making time for the things that are going to really move the needle. And that's why I wrote the book. You talk about, and you know, I've, I've enjoyed the book and you talk about the idea of the infinity trap and that really resonated with me. And I, I, I've seen it. It's just a fundamental problem for leaders, for definitely entrepreneurs. uh, And really just even just, you know, mainline conscientious employees who really want to do a great job. They just get sucked into that infinity trap. Will you talk a little bit about what it is and uh, how we find ourselves in it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I almost named the book after the infinity trap, actually, because it's such a big one. The issue is that in our world, we every leader is really faced with an infinity of options all the time. You're, you've got an infinity of emails and messages to get through. Why infinite? Because as soon as you reply to them, you get more back, right? So it never ends. The messages coming into our different inboxes. You've got an infinity of things to learn. There's an infinity of courses, of books, of videos, of podcasts, of blogs. All these things are out there and we can never stop, right? There's there's always more. You've got an infinity of people to speak with on social media. Uh, you can message anybody anytime in the world through social media or LinkedIn or whatever it is. You can literally have conversations 24 hours with more, more, more people than you could ever have time to do. And so we're faced with all of these demands. And so there's no way that we can out productivity, if you like, all of that. We can't just get through all that infinity. It's never ending. I say in the book, we're mere mortals. You can't take the, you know, the sword of productivity and try to defeat the immortal, the infinite with that. It's just impossible. And so what I see this in leaders, leaders who are running around so crazy, I've got so much on. We often say it's going to get quieter next quarter, but it never gets quieter next quarter. And Uh, everyone is like, oh, I've got so much on. It's crazy busy right now. I'm so busy. It's crazy busy, right? And everybody knows that they're not getting to the things they really should be getting to. And that's really the infinity trap. When people start a job, I'd say they're really caught in the trap because they're running around, they're in superhero mode, they're solving problems, they're feeling good about it because it's quite, you get a buzz, right, from being busy. But what happens is that you get tunnel vision, if you're chasing, if imagine you're chasing, you know, perhaps our ancestors were chasing an animal through the woods and they'd be focused on that animal, but they wouldn't see everything around. They wouldn't, because you'd be focused on getting that one kill. Um, but perhaps there was another animal trapped in the bushes that if you just stopped and noticed it, it'd have been a really easy, much bigger meal for your family. But we were focused to focus in on, on that one thing. And so I think that's what the, that is the trap in the infinity trap is that we get so focused on what's ahead of us that we don't notice these huge opportunities to level up, these massive opportunities that are just not in our field of vision. For us, they don't even exist. We don't even believe they're there. That's the trap. And so all we believe we've got is running faster. And that's really what I want to help people unpick with this book. And this isn't just really a problem just for executive leaders, right? I mean, frontline managers and even you know key uh, team players uh, key contributors have the same thing, right? Um, you know, somebody is amazing at this job. So we just keep giving them more work to do in this role. Yeah. It, 
it could even be worse for them, right? It can be worse because yeah. top of the tree, at least you can kind of like tell people they have to do stuff. Sometimes when you're when you're in the middle, you look at your team, they seem completely overloaded. You're not sure what to do. Can I really give them any more stuff? Things are still coming down from on high. And so a lot of middle managers feel completely squeezed. My team aren't ready to step up. I'm getting even more stuff. Where do I go? And that's, again, the infinity trap. And I'm a sucker for productivity hacks. I'm always looking for the next app to install or the next book to read or the next podcast to listen to that's going to give me that that thing that's going to make me more productive. And some of them do, but it, it feels like I'm not always the I'm not measuring the right thing. Okay, I got all my all my to-dos done today, but that may not be the the right measurement of my performance as a leader. So, what do you you talk about the key performance indicator for, you know, for leaders? What do you describe what that 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 measurement really ought to be? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Before I jump to that point, you just talked about that being productive. Again, one of my phrases you find it in the book is you can either be productive or creative. And when you say that, I, even when I say it to myself, I feel the visceral, oh my word, that's so true because- Guilty. Yeah. You know, and, like when you, and actually creativity is the thing that tends to make the difference. But creativity involves dead ends. It involves thinking. It involves trying something and it not working. You have to go through that process. When you're in the middle of the creativity process, it does not feel productive. But when you come out of it, you might've got something that's a game changer. Um, so what's the number one key performance indicator? So the way I, like to say, I like to say it's strategic time. Let me give you an example from my own career. I started my career in strategy consulting and uh, a couple of, a few months in, I realized that I was one of many analysts and we were doing similar things on different projects. We were building business cases, financial plans, models, uh, creating graphs and results for this, presenting it to, to clients. And yet I realized that we were bespoke building all of these things, which was fine because every project was different. But I saw an opportunity. You know, I could spend a few evenings building some infrastructure, building a, a template for this stuff that perhaps had flexibility in so I could customize it quite easily, but that could perhaps have all the charts really built and the financial model largely built. And I, and I could, uh, you know, all the various geeky things that I came up with. And I spent probably a couple of weeks in kind of my free time or off out of project hours or whatever, really working quite hard on this. And my, my consulting colleagues were looking at me going like, Richard, why are you doing this? No clients paying you for this. It's not adding to your targets. You're making work for yourself here. Well, yes, but once I'd built that, I suddenly became the most productive analyst in the company. What it was taking everyone else to spend, to do a week doing, I could do in half a day because I wasn't starting from zero. I, I had a well thought through process, which not only was faster, but it was actually better because it looked beautiful. It was beautifully formatted. I had um, you know, macros and things which, which would make it look great. And it would be more insightful because it had charts and, and, and sensitivity analysis and all this kind of whiz-bang stuff on it, which everyone else didn't have because they were working so hard just to get the basics. The point is, with that time I freed up, I was then able to spend more time interpreting the results, doing the work actually at one level above where I was meant to be, getting involved with sales activities, business development. And so, I, you know, long story short, I became the youngest ever partner in that business, not just because of that one thing, obviously, but it was perhaps a key part of it. Because the thing about strategic time 
is that it's that time that you invest to make everything easier in the future. Most people use their time. They do the same thing every day, every week, every month, every, every quarter, or perhaps every time a new client comes on board or every time there's a new project, basically go through the same things. But if we think, okay, what's the thing that I can do now that represents an investment of time, but is going to, is going to create more time in the future, then just like I did. So I invested a few, a few weeks, a couple of weeks at the start, a bit painful, came out, was suddenly freeing up days each week. Those days I could then reinvest into new strategic activities that were going to level me up, perhaps learning about new parts of my industry, learning new consulting skills, whatever it was. And so strategic time is this investment time. And if you think about it, the more you invest, especially in, you know, in yourself, in your business, in your team, that compounds. And so you take two people. One person never really has time for these game-changing things, never makes that strategic time, is always playing catch-up, is always overwhelmed by all the urgent operational things. And then you've got somebody else who creates a bit of strategic time and they invest that time wisely to create a new capability in their team or in their business or in themselves. And then with that, that new capability, they can create... They can free up more time, have more impact, and then and so forth. And so the reason I say it's the number one KPI is it, it really determines your trajectory. Do you kind of flatline? Are you stagnant? Or are you growing? And that's why I think it's so important. And I really like the way you talk in the book about strategy, because a lot of leaders think about strategy as like 3D chess, <laughs> and they get so bogged down in either the giant big picture and their head in the clouds or so focused on minutia and trying to figure out if we do this, what will happen if we do this. And your approach in the book to strategy it seems a lot more practical. Would you kind of walk me through what you mean when you're talking about strategy? Yeah. And you say I've been a partner in a strategy consulting company. So I've played at board level doing strategic plans and business plans and $2 billion of deal and all the rest of it. But I think when it comes down for most people, most leaders, you know, strategy is a lens. You can have a strategy or a smategy, right? A smategy is you just smatter things out there. You just throw it on the wall, see what sticks. A hundred, you know, tons of initiatives, tons of priorities. Or you have a lens that focuses you in on what are the one or two key things. Like most things are just like lots, all the operational stuff is going to happen anyway. It's just going to be on your plate, like it or not. You're going to have to process that and and do stuff with it and perhaps delegate it or eliminate it, but it's going to come your way. The strategy is what am I proactively investing in that's going to make all the difference? So in the book, I talk about a few areas, improvement projects, right? Which is what's that one thing that's going to be the new capability that you want to build? Talk about, you know, your high value activities. What are the couple of key things which perhaps they reinforce each other and really represent how you do make your personal impact, your personal productivity in the business? So I think for me, strategy is, it's really a question of going, you know what, what do I want to create? Probably in the short term, like in the next um, 90 days, that is going to really be important. Now, sometimes it might be, you know what, what I really need to do is understand my market because I need to come up with a broader business strategy, for example, or a new competitive differentiation. But the point is that your, your kind of key project at that point might be, you know what, I really need to um, talk with industry leaders among, in, in my market. 
that's actually my kind of strategy to understand the market, for example, rather than just saying, let's have a strategy project. Let's just kind of come up with some slides and put some numbers together, do a budget. Um, and I think, you know, HR leaders you know, have the same thing. I was working with an HR team pretty recently and, and um, this was in a corporation and they had regional HR leaders who reported into their regional managers. So this was a kind of a, a dotted line team almost of the, all the HR specialists. And we got them together and I was like, well, what do you, first of all, why do you guys even, why are you even in the same room? Like, what do you want, what, what do you want to create here that you couldn't create apart? What can you do, what can you do uniquely as this group? And they started to brainstorm, we could do this, but actually that's better done in region. Let's not do that. And, and so started to work on it. And of course, when you started to bubble out a few ideas and then sharpen those up and then go, well, what's the real, what's the top one of those? Or what's the most important one? What's the first one to do? Then you focus in on this laser point of this is the strategy of this team, for example, right? This is the one thing, this is the, the, the core value that we can provide. And perhaps more importantly, the core project that we'll set ourselves in order to make that happen. And so whenever I think of strategy, I'm always thinking of it as, as a lens, a laser, like I can't do everything. So what's the most important thing? And for me, that's strategy, simple as that. And so we have to, in order to have that lens, that lens is composed of who do we serve? Uh, how do we serve them? I'm sure values come into play there too, as an organization. And then and then the strat, you know, we take those things and say, okay, if this is who we serve, and and I guess these are our obstacles or the 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 challenges we may face, things like that. What what are the two or three things that we can do? Well, let me, you know, that would make the biggest difference in 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 serving those people with with these obstacles and things. But how many? I said two or three, but how at any given time, how many of these? strategies should a, a leader really be focusing on? Yeah, so I think what you're mentioning here is there's a few different levels. So the first, what you mentioned is there's kind of what I call strategic anchors, which are um, where you basically go, okay, you said, who are we serving? What's the outcome? You know, why do we believe we have a chance to win here? You know, those are kind of like the strategic anchors and those probably you set them, they won't change there very often. You know, you're having... You know, you're focusing on customer intimacy. You're focusing in this market segment. You're doing this or doing that. Um, and those are more like the lenses, along with values and these kind of things. These are more like the the lenses or the, the filters through which you evaluate all sorts of things, right? So all sorts of projects that come along, do they advance our strategic positioning, right? Are they helping us focus on that, the key customers, solve the key problems that they want? Then the question becomes more pragmatically, if you are a leader of a large organization, a small organization, a team, the question is, well, how many priorities can we focus on? And it's hard to put a number on it. I've seen, my view is that there's always fewer than we think. So whatever your number is, probably you want to half it and start there because it forces you, if it's not feeling really painful to let a few things go, you're probably not trying hard enough. And I like to say, well, if you could just have one thing, what would that one thing be? Like you might have five priorities, but if, yeah, if just one, what would the one be? And even just getting that right really brings you into focus. I think there's been done some research that was said that if you have like anything above about three priorities, the 
chance of achieving any of them actually starts to go down. So I would say, I like to, um, I like to say often, like think of skiing, you know, if you've got one core strategic focus, that's kind of like a blue run. If you've got two, it's, uh, it's a red run. And if you've got three, it's like a black run, probably. Um, now that feels really hard for people. And they go, well, hang on, but I've got teams and they can do they can all do different things. Yes. And you as the leader still only have a certain amount of bandwidth. So if you give some things are actually, I don't need to even focus on them. I can just give them to my team. It's going to be done. Okay, perhaps. Pretty far better to say, well, these are the three big themes. And then there might be other things underneath those that people are working on to implement them. But I think in general, there's a real clarity when you go, oh yeah, it's just it's these two things. If I can just nail these two things, we're going to be golden. And that kind of, I think, ties back to what you say about the most important project being the one no, no one's really asking for. Uh, talk about how that ties in there, that the most important thing I can be focused on is the one that nobody else is asking for. Is like, Yeah, because people are asking you about operations. They're asking you about the day-to-day. By definition, someone's job is to ask you. Strategy is you being proactive. So go back to that example in the consulting company. Nobody asked me to build a template um, other than the ones that already existed in the company. Nobody asked me to do that, but I saw the opportunity and I saw how that would change everything. When I was at Cisco, a few months in, I we'd done a piece of work for a customer and I saw that there were some key insights that we could distill into some thought leadership. You know, anonymize it, generalize it, make it more applicable to different regions around the world. I spent a day... I remember a day in my home office working on this, building a financial model, um, researching it, writing a paper, writing a presentation. Got to the end of the day. It wasn't quite finished. It was almost finished. I just felt pretty down. I was like, what should I do this? No one's asked for this. You know, I've got my, I'm new in my role. I should be, you know, seeing people doing things. But I took this time to invest. And then that thing kind of went viral. I was invited to present in front of customers around the world, brought into the executive teams to present it. It kind of got my name on the map. All that through a thing which I wasn't even being asked to do because I was being creative in that moment and not productive back to that, right? So, so I think the it's always worth saying, what is it that I want to create? It's not my job description necessarily, or no one's asking me for it, but actually it is the thing I can see is going to have the biggest impact. And so really the book really almost starts at that point, right? It's like, I now start to see some of these big areas where I need to put my attention. I need to free up time for either to think about this stuff in the first place or just to actually move forward these projects that nobody else is screaming for. And then the question is, well, how do I actually free up the time? And that's where we get in, if if you like, to the rest of the book and the four main sections. Yeah, and I think that using that term, you know, talking about, creative using creative time as it makes it a lot more approachable than strategy because strategy this doesn't you know i think it means different things to a lot of different people but we all know okay what can i do creative that will move me forward on this project or help you know help my organization succeed or you know and if we talk about creative time that's not that doesn't sound like the Harvard MBA is required. It's just creative, you know, spend some time being creative, thinking creatively about all that's in front of you. Yeah, exactly. And that's it, right? I mean, I mean, strategy is kind of just like 
analytical executives being creative, right? I mean, <laughs> that's really what's going on. Uh, we, you, you're right, we give these words, we, 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 we give them weight and people go, oh, that's not me, I've never done that before. But it's actually just sitting back and thinking what's important right now and how can I, how can I bring my full creativity to bear and my analytical powers, my creative powers, whatever it is, but just bring that, that magic and, and work on what's important. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a research credit. And if you're an HRCI certified professional, this episode is approved for three quarters of a business recertification credit. To obtain the research information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 72 and enter the keyword time. That's T-I-M-E. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Richard Medcalf. So I've fallen into this trap. So let's say, just hypothetically, that I'm an overcommitted leader and I've trained all the people I work with to rely on me to get shit done. Uh, And my calendar's overflowing, my to-do list is too long, but my activity is vital to the operation success. How do I make time for strategic thinking, strategic, you know, creative thinking. How do I, you know, how do I get out from under the mess so I can carve out that time? Yeah. So it's, that's the question, right? That's the question that everyone comes with me to me with really, which is like, how do I do this? And there are... Because it feels four, like it's impossible. Yeah, right? right. It does. Yeah. It feels impossible. I've done all my productivity things, you know, I've, I've read the books, I've, but there's still too much. Well, yeah, because it's infinite, it's still coming. So I talk in the book about four main areas to put your attention on and not necessarily in order it can be in order but it's often like one weakest link perhaps to work on the first and, and actually beautifully they spell the they spell the word time which i was very happy about when i noticed it <laughs> so the ultimate acronym so you've got tactics influence mindset and environment Tactics influence mindset environment. It spells time, but it really matters because first of all, tactics is sometimes you do just need the blocking and tackling. When it comes to the situation you described, well, first of all, there might be some issues with your workflows, with the way that you process things, with dealing emails and meetings, getting onto your agenda that shouldn't be there. And more importantly, there probably is a piece of work to be done to rapidly renegotiate those renegotiate those commitments, eliminate things from your diaries, streamline things, delegate things. And so the, the tactical part, we can talk about that, but that's really like hardcore. I need to free up X hours a week. I need to do it fast. Tactics. So that's the that's the practice of saying no or delegating uh, or renegotiating with with whoever the other stakeholders are. Yeah. So there's so in the book, I, I kind of go through two things. There's sort of what I call the crash plan, which is um, how do you take look at your existing obligations and commitments, decide which really are the important ones, and then figure out what you do with the other ones. And then there is, if you like, your ongoing systems. What's the system that you're building to allow you to be 
focused and have your attention in the right place on an ongoing basis. So there are those two components to tactics. But then we started talking about renegotiating your commitments. And that really comes into the second part of the book, influence, because often we go, well, you know what? I might have my plan, but I can't do it because my boss won't accept it or because my peers, they keep sending me all this stuff that I shouldn't be doing or my team, they keep coming to me with problems that I want them to be solving. And so and in that, the HR world, employees keep quitting. We're still in the middle of this, this series uh, of, yeah. of, you know, employees quitting and, and we've got to find the replacements and that's all urgent, urgent, urgent all the time. Yeah, right. So, so the first thing is how do I renegotiate my commitments with those external stakeholders so that they are actually supportive or they understand what they now need to do as I now up-level my focus. So let's say there's somebody in my organization who keeps coming to me. I'm senior HR leader. They should be coming to my team to ask, but I keep they keep pinging me and I'm getting emails and I'm having to forward them. And that's like, it doesn't take too much time, but it's a distraction. I have to keep checking, is there something there or whatever it is, right? Like if that keeps happening, it's really hard to focus on the big ticket items. Or if, you're, or if your boss, perhaps the CEO, keeps pinging you and expects immediate response at any hour of the day or night. So every time you try to focus, bang, ping, ping, you're getting messages and you have to deal with them. And it's really hard to get out of that. If you've ever gone on a diet, then you get pulled back by your family normally because they want to have the cake, right? And they want to have a glass of wine in the evening. So normally it's the people around us that are pull us back to what they're comfortable with, the status quo. Same in business. So influence is really about how do you have the conversations with these different people? So you go to your CEO and you say, look, this is what I want to work on. Do you agree that would really be impactful for the business? Yes, right. In order for me to do that, I like to suggest that we have a slightly different way of interacting. You know, from now on, on a Monday morning, I'm probably not going to be free between 10 and 12 because that's my strategic time. So I won't be replying to you in that period. Is that okay? And they might push back. No, that's not okay. Okay, well, what exactly is the issue? And you kind of figure out, okay, you want some way to get in touch with me. I'll tell you what, I won't be checking messages. If you, I'll leave my phone on with you on the VIP list. So if you literally need urgently to speak to me, that everything's burning down, it's a crisis, you can get in touch with me. But if you send me a text, I'll assume it's something that I can deal with when I come out of my strategic time. So then you've created the agreement. Yeah, I agree. It sounds good. Have at it. Good luck on those big projects that I want you to deliver on. Perfect. So you've now got an ally. You've created an agreement. And so suddenly that time is now that much more protected than it was before. So the I in time influence is really about that leadership challenge of having those conversations, which sometimes aren't entirely comfortable when you first have them, um, but are the necessary conversations to have. Then you have mindset because you might know how to do all these things, but you don't really feel you should be doing them. <laughs> Normally we're defined by what we think is necessary, possible and desirable. So, Again, one HR leader I worked with was stuck in his email. He should be working on this on the transformational projects. And when I when we when we went deep, it was because he felt that he was not being reliable or a team player or not a team player if he didn't get back to people quickly. He didn't want to be that guy um, who people were waiting on all the time. He's a very nice person, right? Very, very empathetic person. He wanted to be a good team player. As we, I probed in and we looked at all the different stakeholders, the CEO, the, the, the investors, his team, customers, and he realized that all of them, if they were in the room, would want 
him to be doing those big transformational projects and not getting distracted by his emails. I said, look, the way I see it is when you're doing your email, you're actually being unreliable and untrustworthy and not a team player at all. And then he got it, right? The mindset shifted. Oh, yeah, this is not my role anymore. Very few of us are actually paid what we're paid to write emails. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, it's, no it's great true. business was ever built from the mailroom. <laughs> right, yeah. And so, so that's mindset. Yeah. yeah, so that's mindset, right? And and there's various things that get in our way. Some of us, it's people pleasing. Some of us, it's just being so addicted to getting things off our list and, and being responsive and, and the buzz that goes on with that, right? There's all sorts of things that we can look at. And the final one is environment, because I wanted to write this book for leaders. And a lot of books deal with the personal productivity piece and focus. But I also wanted to say, well, there's also organizational focus. So how as a leader do you actually work your environment, your corporate culture, your team culture to help them, help everybody create that bit more time for strategic creative work, no matter where they are in the organization? Because if everyone else around you is going crazy, you can do your work, but it becomes a lot harder. If you can actually help your team free themselves up from the low end stuff, work on the most important things, renegotiate their commitments, extract themselves from things they shouldn't be doing, then actually you can give them even more things and then you can up-level yourself even more. Uh, if, you, if your whole cult, corporate culture is based around firefighting and running around, as a senior leader, you need to address that problem because it's severely hampering you, right? It's keeping you on a, on a flat trajectory. People are always like, running after the least, least customer issue, the, the business process that's not working, except for firefighting. It feels good for people. It's the infinity trap. It feels productive, but the needle doesn't move. And so environment is really about how do you have the conversations with your team, with your organization, and lead them through a process of change. And so when the environment's wrong, that's when the organization's just kind of stuck in the weeds, right? Is that, I mean, uh, I may want, you know, I may be fully committed as an individual leader to setting this time aside to really thinking about what we can do to move forward in a in a big way, uh, investing those resources. But if everybody who surrounded me is, you know, like you said, they're they're fighting fires all day long, and they're responding to maybe the least the less important but more urgent issues. Uh, or what are seen as urgent, you know, emails with, you know, please respond to me by close of business, um, then they feel like they've got to do that. And and really, they've trained, I guess, they've trained the people on the other end of those emails, or they, they've trained their customers or their peers to expect this same level of response. Uh, and if, and so you got to, how do you, you know, so the changing that environment, what does that really look like? I mean, I can I can see where it's a real challenge in a lot of organizations because that's how we've always done it. We're a high service, high response organization, uh, that kind of response. And so, you know, how do you, I guess it goes back to that influence, that renegotiating that expectation? Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of, of answers to that question. I think the first thing to just point out is it's a great, it's a real transformation that has a massive payoff. And so it's a great opportunity for HR leaders to take a leadership role because it's actually speaking to the business intellectual side of the executive team. Yeah, we get this. We need to do this. We're fed up of all this activity and not moving the needle. And yet it's a behavior and cultural issue. So 
often when people bring me into a company, it might be, first of all, they might do a keynote or something, a presentation, just to kind of seed this idea. Because that then kind of gets a whole bunch of people going, you know what, we are stuck in the weeds. We are doing this. We're not really making time. How do we do that, right? Then often it's around, well, what do we need to do with the executive team? Because A, are we stuck in the weeds? If we're not focused on the on what's coming around the corner, if we're not thinking strategically, then who the hell is? And secondly, more importantly, perhaps, what's the culture that we're creating, even unconsciously right now, because of our own mindset, our own issues, whatever it is, you know, where are we actually um, creating some of this in the broader company? And how do we need to make a couple of shifts to do that? And then from there, things can progress. But I think often those are some of the key areas. So I think in answer to you, how do you even begin? I think it is about seeding the language, right? Starting to see the language. The infinity trap. Do people understand the infinity trap? Why is it important? Strategic time. Do people get why it's the number one KPI? And uh, then perhaps starting to look at some of these other terms that I introduced in the book. Once those terms are buzzing around and people are having a conversation around them, then new possibilities open up. So in the environment section, I, I outline a whole, almost like a mini change management process. It starts with insight and motivation. People need to know what it is that might need to change and they need to want to do it. And so that's the, I think that's where you start is you kind of help people actually see this thing that make a distinction. Oh, I didn't see strategic time. Yeah, no, we don't have it. And it's important because it would do this. And then the motivation, well, that's going to require me to do a few things I might not be comfortable with, perhaps. You know, I know my comfort zone. It's going to be a bit of a stretch here. Am I truly okay with that? Have I, have I actually processed, processed that enough to really see the opportunity in it for me and not just the risk to... Right. Messing things up, right? <laughs> that I'm already doing. Well, and that risk is is real for a lot of leaders. I mean, right, what got them to where they are today uh, is probably the same processes that we're trying to alter, destroy, or, or rethink by making the, you know, by changing our focus and how we're going to respond. So that leader who was promoted because, yeah, he's, you know, he's able to produce a lot of, you know, work that it may be challenging or threatening to him to say that, yeah, we're going to change how we measure leadership, uh, you know, leadership's contribution to the organization. Yeah. So every leader um, who's super busy, my diagnosis is instinctively, okay, you have your foot flat on the accelerator, right? Can't go any further. It's right on the, right on the floor, but you can't change gear when you have your foot jammed on the accelerator, right? You have to ease off to change gear. And changing gear means reinventing that little formula. It's working. And most leaders go, this has been working for me my whole career. I've built my, you know, I'm really good at operations and problem solving. And now I've got a few teams and they do it with me. And I'm starting to go faster and faster as I get more and more senior, more things come on my plate. And I'm processing it using my little formula for being adding value. At some point, you can't do it anymore. And actually, you're doing things and you don't realize the things you're not doing, the things you're not even getting to. And so that's the time where you need to make this shift, make time for strategy and actually shift out of that model. But it requires that easing back. And it feels like this is going to be, I'm going to go slower, but you don't. You end up going faster, but you have to go through that that, that moment of investing. And that's what the book's about. And I think a lot of leaders say they don't have the bandwidth. I can't afford to stop. But we just came through. You know, we're still in a in a in a worldwide pandemic. And and how many times have we seen p- leaders who get sick and are out of the office unexpectedly for seven or ten days or longer? 
and they come back and they're able to pick up and get stuff done. But that 10 days of productivity, they hadn't, had they just taken it off to be, had to take a percentage of that to, to be creative and, and thoughtful about their, their, their roles and strategic, you know, it, that is, a, that's, un, they can't imagine doing that. But yeah, if I've got COVID, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I, I understand why I'm not going to be here for 10 days. And that's the mindset issue because it's the instinctive habits we've built up and, and, and what we feel is important. So I spoke with one CEO, he said, you know what? I know I should do this stuff, Richard. I'm the CEO. I really know I need to do it, but I feel guilty. Like if I close the door of my office and just like not, I'm not there for my team and I'm like blank piece of paper or whatever it is, I feel guilty, right? Yeah. And that's that's a problem because that's where you're going to do your magic. One insight could change everything in that in that space. But if you're feeling guilty because you're not just being busy, busy, busy. That's a hard thing to to wean off. So you need your thinking hacked at that point, which again, mm-hmm. I try to do in the book or which I do with my clients is let me kind of work because say it's not, most people think you just need that productivity hack, but actually they only get you so far. It's the deeper stuff. It's, am I having the courageous conversations, re-influencing my stakeholders or am I backing off? Am I doing the work on my mindset so that I actually lean into things that don't feel comfortable for me or I don't even think are possible or necessary or desirable? Yeah, and am I being a bit more strategic working with my organization? And and just a couple of the key levers that would make a big difference there. Or am I trying just to solve my own little problem and then get frustrated at the rest of the organization? There's a lot more in the book, but let me ask one last question. If we, If the KPI is the amount of time that we set aside for strategic thinking, then... What should that metric be? What should that be? Ten percent of our time, twenty percent, or how do we how do we measure that? How do we know when we've hit the sweet spot? I don't think there's a fixed number for everybody. Depends on your role, what's going on in the business. However, I would say it's probably more than you right now can possibly contemplate. So, for those those of you who have no time, you know the sweet spot is probably. You know, you're like your first level is, is probably more than you can even imagine. Um, several hours, you know, an hour a week or two hours a week, it's way, way more than you're already doing. You might go, even that's impossible. Some people go, you know what? I've already got an hour blocked a day. Well, perhaps you could have three hours a day. Well, how would that be possible? I think, um, so what I like to say is not so much what's the actual number, um, but actually how can you start and how can you create something which is, tiny and achievable and build from there. So I'd say it's much rather to find out a way to create five minutes of thinking a day and actually do it than try to create an hour thinking a week and or an hour thinking a day and fail. Because most people we go, go big or go home, right? We're gonna like we're gonna do a big um a new habit. I'm gonna be the strategic thinker. I'm gonna carve out an hour a day. Okay, first day you do the hour. Second day, you kind of do half an hour, then you get a bit busy and distracted. Third day, you're busy, you don't do it. The fourth day, you're guilty, you don't do it. And the fifth day, you give up. Because it's like, I don't want to lose at this game. I've set myself. No one's asking me for it. I'm going to ditch it. So instead, create something that's so small, you can do it and feel good. Here's a hack for that. The first time you do it, take five minutes and just write down, what, are, what, are, what questions would I like to answer? Uh, did it with a client just now. He was really busy executive. I said, just thought, 
if you had that time, what would you even answer? What would you spend it on? So just write down what kind of questions. Oh, I'd like to think about where my industry is going, uh, how I need to develop my team. Um, you know, how are we going to work with operations better? Whatever, whatever the issues are, just brainstorm for five minutes. And then you've got a list so that then when you've got some time in your diary or a free moment, you can go to that list and go, let me just think about this one or work on this one. But often we don't know what we're going to do with this magical strategic time. So when it comes along, we go, ah, I'll just do my emails instead. At least I know what to do there. Right. So that's what I would suggest. Like start small and just come up with a few questions you want to start to ponder. That's great. And that's all the time we've got today. But thank you for joining me again on the Good Morning HR, Richard. Yeah, you're welcome. If you want to find out about the book, they can go to makingtimeforstrategy.com. Um, that's probably the simplest place uh, to go. And Perfect. that'll take out the book and you know you can get it on Amazon and all the usual places. So, uh, yeah, and it'll be on, in our show notes as well. And, uh, and we'll include all the contact info for all your projects, which will take half, half the show notes because you've got so many things going on. But thank you again for joining us. I appreciate it. Mike, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guest at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.